1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: Welcome back to episode 74 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. Today, I am joined for the first half of the podcast by Matt Collins, and then we are later going to be joined by a special guest, Ian Cundall, the Director of Scouting at Sox Prospects. Uh, Matt, welcome back to the show.
2: Thank you. It's good to be back.
0: So since you've been back, Matt, uh, the Red Sox just wrapped up a 21-7 start where they had 19 wins in the month of April. Um, if you haven't heard yet, that is a franchise record for the team in the month of April. Um there's not a whole lot to complain about with this club uh, even though we, we tend to find things too on this podcast. Uh, the Yankees are just three games back of the Red Sox and the Red Sox have played 500 ball over their last 10 games uh, where the Yankees have played nine in one ball over those last 10 games. So let me ask you the first thing are you surprised the Yankees are this close considering the start that the Red Sox got off to?
2: Ah oh, man the Yankees are fucking good I don't know um, I think it's way too early i mean it's it's weird there's a lot of people focusing on standings right now and it's i usually don't really look at standings until at least june so the yankees are good i'm not surprised they're winning a lot i don't know it seems way too early to be checking up on the standings after every game unless you're like rubbing it in the yankees fan's face and then you could do that but i don't know the yankees are good i expect them these two teams to be close all year
0: yeah i expected it to be close too i guess um With a borderline historic start for the Red Sox, I sort of expected there to be a little bit more of a gap, but the Yankees are just playing outstanding. That lineup's great. Um, It's going to be a battle between these teams all year, and and to that note, Matt, I do have a bet with a a Yankees fan, a certain Yankees fan from the Bronx who I play fantasy baseball with about the division. So uh, I periodically will get texts from him with uh, the updated (laughs) standings, so... Um, but oddly enough, whenever the Red Sox pick up a game in the standings, I don't get a text.
2: <laughs> that am um, very surprised by that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny he doesn't like it both ways. Um, so one of the things I want to talk about with this team is injuries because the team has suffered a few of them recently. Um, there's a lot of bouncing back and forth to the DL that's going to be happening soon. Um, and all of that is going to have roster implications. So the first and sort of the biggest injury concern we should talk about is Mookie Betts, who's out with a hamstring injury. Uh, it was said he was going to be available off the bench, uh, on Monday. Um, but he didn't actually get into the game and he was supposed to be in the lineup today, Tuesday, as we record this on May 1st. However, the lineups came out without him on it. Uh, how concerned are you about this lingering Matt?
2: Not concerned. Um, He's playing tomorrow. Cora said that with it being a day game tomorrow and night game tonight, he was going to have to sit out one of them, and he decided that they would be better off with him sitting tonight and playing tomorrow afternoon. I don't know if he said why, but he said he is available off the bench and uh, he should be in tomorrow. So if he's not in tomorrow's lineup, I'll be a little more concerned. But right now, as we speak, I don't think it's that big a deal.
0: Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. Give him another day's rest and, you know, see, see where it is at that point. Um, J.D. Martinez does draw another start in the outfield in his stead. Matt, do you have any advice for the fans out there that uh, need help navigating a J.D. Martinez outfield start?
2: Uh, close your eyes when it's hit out there and <laughs> uh, open him back up when he has a bat in his hand. <laughs> All
0: right, perfect. Uh, beverage of choice for, for watching him play the field?
2: Uh, whatever it is get the highest alcohol content. <laughs>
0: good, good. Uh, yeah, that's that's about. He right. had a
2: rough one the other night. Um, what day was that? It was over the weekend. I don't know, but he, cause he had been playing pretty well, and then he had this play where he just kind of froze for a solid like three seconds as it went over his head. That led to a couple runs. So every time I feel like I'm getting feeling better about his defense, he has a play like that.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad he likes it out there, at least. Um, he's he's doing it with the bat, so we can't complain.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: This is this is what we expected out of this guy, so it's a good thing. Um, so many of our listener questions that we got tonight are about the, uh, the defense of uh, Eduardo Nunez, something that you've talked about a little bit, and I think it's fair to say that he hasn't looked great. We know he's not a great defender, as it is, but he has looked like... That knee is still bothering him a little bit at times. I want to tell you something bizarre, though, before we go into this. So Fangraphs rates players by their defensive value, and it it encapsulates a bunch of different things. But right now, the second best defensive player on the Red Sox team is Eduardo Nunez, uh, according to Fangraphs, which is sort of hilarious to me.
2: Are you talking about the defense column... Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that counts positional adjustments. Like, oh. I mean, I don't want to defensive metrics at this point in the year are garbage anyways, but... Oh, I think they're like always his, garbage. Well, yeah, but especially right now. Uh, but, I mean, even if you look at, like, UZR and DRS and stuff, I'm pretty sure he's negative.
0: So, uh, I think
2: he, it's just because he's playing an important position he gets a little bit of a boost regardless.
0: With UZR, he's positive right now. Oh, Jesus Christ!
2: All right, yeah. forget it.
0: I don't. <laughs> I don't know why he is in range factor. He's positive. Uh, in UZR, he's positive right now. He's positive
2: in range factor. The guy can't move.
0: <laughs> I know. He's a he's a plus point four in that uh, factor right now. Uh, no,
2: no. You're looking at third base.
0: Oh, well, where, do, where are where they listing him at second
2: base here? Uh, second base is up one. He's minus one in range factor, minus 1.1 1. 1 in ECR. Oh, thank God. Minus five defensive run. Yeah, because he's not bad at third base.
0: Okay, I, okay. Now I feel better about what my eyes yeah. have been telling me. Because I was <laughs> looking at this earlier, and I was just like, how, how is this a thing? Um, but this all leads me to my other point, which is Dustin Pedroia uh, is getting healthy, is starting to rehab, and is on his way back soon. He's going to be starting a rehab stint. Uh, May 12th with Pawtucket, um, and he said that he wants to return to the lineup on May 25th. So, um, basically, my question to you, Matt, is what can we expect from Dustin Pedroia when he gets back, and and how much of a problem have you perceived Nunez's defense to have been so far this season?
2: Uh, I'll answer the second one first. It's been a it's been a real problem. Um, I've tried to defend him a lot. I like Nunez a lot. His defense is really bad at second base. He he can't play there, and it sucks because they don't really have, like, like I just said, he's good at third base. That's where he should be playing. Obviously, they already have a third baseman, so um, Pedroia is going to be a huge upgrade in the field, and given what this lineup can look like when everybody is firing, it doesn't matter so much what Pedroia is going to be at the plate. I don't expect a ton maybe league average would probably be like the peak of my expectations for him at the plate but that defense is going to be such a big upgrade that he will be a welcome return
0: yeah so just to put that in perspective now that i know how to read these stats um dustin Pedroya was worth 7.7 defensive runs it seems like uh on Fangraphs metrics last year playing on sort of a bum knee as it was Um, and Eduardo Nunez at second so far has been worth negative 0.7. So that, that alone says, says everything you sort of need.
2: Yeah. That's a, that's a fairly big swing. I would say.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's good to be on the positive side with those (laughs) things, but I mean, how big of a deal is that for this club? Because when we were talking about the season, uh, before the year started, um, we were identifying infield defense as potentially one of the downfalls of this team, and Mitch Moreland hasn't been great there uh, when he's got to play at first base. Uh, Hanley hasn't been great there, but first doesn't matter that much. But it's really – Devers I don't know. has I, been a, above average.
2: I don't know if I agree with anything you just said. Really? <laughs> I think Hanley's been pretty good. I think Moreland's been fine, and I think Devers has been – Average-ish, I think the coaches are talking him up a whole lot. and He's made some nice plays, but he's still making those young guy mistakes, throwing balls when he shouldn't, kind of making the wrong decisions, being too aggressive. Um, I think he'll come around, but right now I don't think he's anything better than average.
0: So currently, Moreland and Ramirez grayed out as the two worst players on the roster defensively aside from andrew benintendi
2: Yeah, well, that's another thing where it's the positional adjustment i mean first baseman just don't have defensive value right yeah I i mean i think i there's been a few plays where uh i mean hanley's made some really nice stretches he's been a little more athletic than i was expecting him to be at first base so i don't think he's winning a gold glove or anything but i think he's definitely holding it down fine
0: Yeah, you know what? These defensive metrics are questionable at best. Yeah, they're poop. Yeah, I just, I really don't like them because when you look at it, like, so last week on the podcast when I was talking to Brian Joyner about this, I mentioned that I thought that Hanley has looked pretty good there at first base as well. I thought Moreland's looked fine this year. I think Devers has looked mostly fine. I guess I forgive him a little bit more. Um, than you do Um, early this year. I just think that the things that I've seen from him where he's messed up are things that he can sort of adjust back from as, as he gets a little bit more experience.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm not super worried about him. I'm not, like, saying I need to move him across a diamond or anything, but just based on results, I think he's been a net negative, maybe
0: average. What have you thought about Bogart so far defensively?
2: same about average yeah i think i think a lot of people have extreme positions on him both ways um and i just i think if you have an extreme position either way on him defensively you're wrong
0: okay. he has
2: some weaknesses and he has some strengths and he's you can do better at shortstop, but you can also live with him playing there every day
0: yeah he's totally passable i think is a, is a good way to put that but i think it's fair to say that when Pedroya comes back Infield defense is not going to be a weakness, at least, on the team. I think it's going to be just totally average.
2: Mm, I think there's still going to be some plays where we get frustrated, but, I mean, it'll definitely be better. Nunez is definitely the weakest link, I think. That's a totally fair statement.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. Um, Another guy who's going to be due off the DL soon is Brock Holt, who's due to be activated on May 8th if everything is fine by then. Um, by this time, since Xander is already back, you know, if they don't DL anybody, they, I assume they could DL Nunez if they really thought that something was going on with his knee at that point. But do you expect any roster decisions to be made when Holt's able to be activated?
2: I mean, I would assume it would be Lynn going
0: down. That's my assumption as well. I'm just wondering if they're going to try and finally deal with this Swyhart thing.
2: Well, yeah, that would be the other, um... That would be the other option. I wouldn't be terribly surprised if that happened. But I don't know. I think it, they might wait till Pedroia comes back just to see if they need that body and to give them a little more time to maybe gauge some interest around the league.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes some sense. And maybe see what, what, uh, what Pedroia is like when he comes back as well.
2: Well, once Pedroia comes back, they don't really have that luxury. But, I mean, they can watch him at rehab and see what that's like.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, man, this 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 Blake Swihart thing—I just wanted to end. We're go- we're going to spend no time on Blake Swihart today because we <laughs> spent a half a half an hour on him last time, um, so we're done with that. Um, that. <laughs> Tyler Thornburg is rehabbing in Pawtucket. Uh, he threw successfully yesterday. Um, when is he going to be due back,
2: Matt? Uh, I don't know. I don't think they've set a timetable on him. I'm assuming they're going to give him a long rehab start or stint. Um, Let me see. Because it's a similar situation to Carson Smith last year where he missed so much time that you don't want him to like, this isn't a guy who's going to throw two rehab outings and then come back to the bullpen, you know? Right. Um, So I'm assuming he's going to be at least a few weeks. Carson Smith threw 11 rehab outings last year that sounds about right so that would probably be about 20 days so i would expect him back by the end of the month um that first outing was definitely encouraging though
0: yeah that's what i was gonna say that the, the first outing seemed to have generally positive feedback from everybody who saw it i mean are you expecting that he comes back and actually knocks somebody out of this uh bullpen at that point
2: i mean he's definitely yeah i mean he's gonna be back unless he gets hurt again they don't really have another choice, so um, I don't really know how they're going to deal with this and Stephen Wright coming back. Writing about that later this week, but I don't really have a good sense. There's a lot of options, but none of them are something I feel good about.
0: Yeah, any of the options are going to certainly hurt the team's bullpen depth uh, when they do come back because Thernberg doesn't have an option. Wright, who we haven't talked about yet, doesn't have an option. Um, neither does Brian Johnson. Um, and Heath Embry's out of options, too. So those are p- two potential guys that could be on the chopping block when these guys come back. But I don't know how are they going to handle that. Smith also hasn't looked great, but I don't believe he—wait, does he have an option? He might have an option.
2: Smith does have options. I cannot imagine them optioning Smith. Barnes has options. I really can't see them optioning
0: Barnes. Well, he's been amazing so far.
2: Yeah. The only guy I can see them optioning, and he's been amazing too, is Hector Velasquez. Yeah. But like I said, I don't really feel great about it. It's, it's a weird, weird situation.
0: Yeah, I don't want yeah. that to happen at all. He came in and threw two scoreless innings yesterday. He's been fire in that role.
2: Yeah. And that's, I mean, this is one of those things where usually they sort themselves out, but not always. And then I mean Thornberg obviously you have to have back. I mean I've said before, I'm not super confident in him that TOS surgery is no joke, but if he is back to the guy he was a couple years ago with Milwaukee, he's the second best reliever in this bullpen.
0: Yeah, and I not think any doubt
2: be. about it. Yeah. So I mean you have to give him that shot. <clears> I just don't know how you make room for him without feeling bad about it.
0: Yeah, it seems like a trade has to be coming. If it was me, I think if I was in charge of the team, I'd probably want to look into trading Brian Johnson if I could. And the reason why I say that is simply because you have another capable lefty uh, in Bobby Pointer, who's not even up with the club right now. Um, Jalen Beeks too. Jalen Bakes, who was mm. pitching amazing. Uh, I just think you have a little bit of depth there, and I think that his value as someone who could come out and pitch in the rotation, too, might be a little bit higher than, say, a Heath Henry or something like that.
2: Yeah, I don't think either of them have huge value, um, but you're probably right. Johnson would probably fetch a little bit more. He's a little bit younger, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good problem to have, I suppose, to have too many solid bullpen options at this point, but... Um, you know, it's going to be something that they're going to have to sort out. Um, right, as you mentioned, uh, he made his second rehab start, and then his suspension started three days ago as well. Uh, he is due to come off the suspension uh, May 14th. Um, so they're going to have to figure out what to do with him when he gets back. Yeah, uh, so that's two pitchers that have to go. Yeah, two pitchers. And when I look at the bullpen, the two obvious guys <laughs> are Smith and Johnson, who are sort of struggling the most. Like you said, we don't really see Smith going down, and then you're looking at Heath Hembry. Uh, and both of those guys are out of options, so it's going to be weird. I
2: wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Pomerantz going to the DL or something soon, um, depending on how he looks tomorrow.
0: Yeah, he's looked bad. We're going to get to him too.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Bogarts came off the DL, continues to mash the hell out of the ball. Um, Looks like, I mean, you know, the, the foot looks totally fine uh, so far. Um, I wanted to talk about what he's done so far this year because right now Xander Bogarts in 51 at-bats is slashing 412, 426, 745 with an 1171 OPS. Um, and for all the StatCast nerds out there, he's got an average exit velocity of 92 miles an hour with a 15.1 average launch angle. Um, Basically, Xander Bogarts is putting the ball in the air and hitting it harder than ever before while being more selective in the zone and being more aggressive in the zone. He's basically doing everything that you expect a great baseball player to do.
2: Yeah, he's. uh, I was a little worried. When he came back from the DL, I'm not going to lie, um, he had some quotes that kind of worried me a little bit, saying that he wasn't totally pain-free and all that. So I was a little worried, and then he came back and started mashing immediately. So he's a beast. He's uh, obviously not going to be this good all year, but he's definitely a force in the middle of the lineup, and he's going to be as long as he's on the field.
0: I think one of the biggest knocks on him, though, uh, throughout his the younger part of his career was that he got a little passive at the plate sometimes, and he seems to have really rectified that, and he's also lifting the ball off the ground a whole lot more than he ever has. I mean, are those two things enough in your mind um, for him to sort of tap into that 70-grade power that some people had on him when he was a prospect?
2: Ooh, I don't know. 70s, that's a high grade.
0: It is a high grade, but a lot of people have it
2: on him. Yeah, I don't know if I would uh, get that carried away, but I mean, I can see him. I don't know what a 70-grade power hitter. What would that home run total be? I think that's like 35-40. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. I would say 25 to 30 range. Um maybe I mean I could definitely see him getting in the low 30s too, but I don't know. I feel like he's made a great adjustment. He is he's obviously in his zone. He is being way more aggressive, which is great to see. Pitchers are going to start attacking him differently at some point, And he's seeing the most strikes he's ever seen in his career, according to fan graphs, I wouldn't expect that to continue. And yeah. we'll see how we adjust to that.
0: Yeah, that is going to be interesting. It's tough to pitch around him, though, right now with everybody performing how they are in this lineup.
2: Yeah, he's kind of at the end of that little run in their lineup, though. Devers hasn't been quite the same lately, He's starting to turn out a little bit. But the bottom of the lineup hasn't been great. It's mostly the top half. So I could see them starting to pitch around Bogarts hmm. if he stays in that five spot.
0: You know Mookie still has a higher OPS than he does?
2: Uh, yeah, Mookie is... By two points. Uh, the real deal. <laughs>
0: That's
2: he crazy. Is, he is... Uh, I mean, not to bring back the old Mookie versus Sander debates, because obviously Mookie is that guy. I mean, he's just that dude. Yeah. And he's like... It's not. Uh, he's not gonna have a two hundred six WRC plus at the end of the year, probably. But like, it doesn't look wildly unsustainable. The power is gonna come
0: down, but other than that, he's he's really amazing. What do you think it could be though? I think it could be in the one sixties.
2: Yeah. Um. He was one thirty seven a few years ago. I would say. Realistic expectation, like on the high end, be like 145, 150.
0: So, where would that put him? So, let me look at leaders for last year. If he was in the 148 range, that's basically what Jose Ramirez did last year Um, 318, 374, 583 slash line. I could see him being a little bit better than that, honestly.
2: I could see it. I don't know if I would bet on
0: it. So a 160, that would be in the Jose Altuve range. 346, 410,
2: 547. Yeah. Altuve was really good, man. I don't know <laughs> if I could ever put those expectations on anyone. That's not like named Mike Trout or Joe Vodio or something.
0: I don't know, man. He's uh, he's. I think he's, he's good. in yeah, that
2: discussion. Ooh, I don't know. I don't know about that. But Maybe as an overall player. Well, no, he's not in the Trout discussion. Let's not... No, I, I had enough of that a couple weeks
0: ago. <laughs> All right. I'm not doing that. Well, Mike Trout still exists. We yes. we, we recognize that. Uh, okay, but get excited about Betts and Bogarts. Uh, it seems like they're finally both doing it in the same season, which is amazing. Uh, I want to talk about the biggest strength on the team so far this season, which has been the rotation. Uh, it's probably been the biggest reason. Uh, I don't know. The, there have been a million good reasons, but... The rotation has really stood out so far uh, as a strength for this team. Um, so far, Porcello leading the way for the team with a 223 ERA, 0.84 whip. Sales coming in next at 231 with a 0.97 whip. Price at 378 with a 132 whip. And then Erod with a 4.78 ERA and a 133 whip. Um, Pomerantz is the guy who's fallen off the back of the cliff a little bit here. Um, 7.27 ERA since he's come off the DL with a 1.73 whip. Um, how would you assess the performance of the rotation so far?
2: Oh, it's been awesome. Um, did you say Price had a 3.78 ERA? Yeah, 3.78 Jeez. with a 1.32 uh,
0: yeah. whip.
2: That'll show you what one bad start does with this small sample. Yes, he's been better than that um yeah i'm I'm worried about Pomerantz other than that it's been awesome. Porcello has been a blast to watch um It's crazy that he's been the best pitcher in the rotation and I don't know two years in a row Sandy Leon has been the personal catcher for the best pitcher in the rotation. I don't know what that means, but it's something um. Rodriguez is inconsistent. I was hoping to see more consistency from him. I think that with Porcello pitching the way he is, Rodriguez isn't as important. But, I mean, if they want to do... I'm not worried about the rotations of the regular season. If they want to go as deep as they do in the playoffs, they're going to need Rodriguez and or Pomerantz to figure it out. Obviously, they haven't been on the mound very often. There's some plenty in time. But uh, those are the two concerning guys to me.
0: So Porcello and Sale are obviously locks. They're going to be amazing. I think Price and Erod, though, are guys that when you watch individual starts from them, you can see the potential here for absolute dominance in a four-game, you know, if in a playoff series where you're only going to use four starters. Because at any given moment, Price and Erod can come in and give you eight strong innings.
2: Yeah, I would. Uh, I would definitely put Price in that first group way before rodriguez um i mean his last two starts don't look great his last start wasn't great against the rays two starts ago in oakland uh i feel like that was kind of on cora that he ended up with four runs charged to him because i think it was pretty obvious that he should have been taken out against chris davis and they left him in he gave up the home run that kind of hurt his final line but uh price has been pretty much amazing outside of that Yankee start so I would put him in that Porcello Sale tier for sure.
0: Yeah I certainly think he belonged there. Um, the one thing I want to ask you about with Chris Sale though is the velocity. Um, so far we we haven't been too concerned about it when we've talked about it on the show but um, right now it's down 1.6 miles an hour from where it was last year which you know, you, you, you don't worry about it too much because it's early in the season, but even for an early in the season, velocity reading, that's pretty low for him.
2: Yeah. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't look at average velocity as much with sale because his fastball, I mean, he has like these three different fastballs where he throws, um, he throws them at different speeds, and so his average velocity could be 91, but that's like his secondary fastball, and when he wants to, he can get it up to 94, 95, 96.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, if he's there's been a couple starts this year where he hasn't been able to get it up that high, other than like one or two times, and that's concerning. But his last few starts, he's been able to get up there. So I'm not, I'm a little concerned about his command. It doesn't seem like he's had his command on all his pitches very often this year, but his velocity I'm not super concerned about at this point.
0: Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with you. I mean, I saw that firsthand when I was at the the Yankees' start that he threw. Um, humble brag. Yeah, humble brag. Um, I mean, he, I saw him go up from like 89-90 to 96, uh, you know, within a couple batters. So I, I know that he has got that potential turned on. But one thing that's a little concerning is uh, Dana Lavangie, the pitching coach did say that he feels like his mechanics haven't been quite where they should be. Uh, and we've noticed that he's been a little bit inconsistent this year with his slider. Um, do you think there's anything to be concerned with there? Or is this just something that he's going to get ironed out?
2: I, I think he's going to figure it out. I mean, the results have still been pretty unreal. And I mean, this is him with bad mechanics (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, 231 ERA and under yeah. one whip.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's striking out, I don't know, a million batters per nine. I don't know. I'm not super concerned.
0: Yeah, no, it's pretty good. I, I think you're right about that. Not a lot of concern here. But I, I want to talk about Eddie one more time. Um, some of the numbers are pretty cool for Eddie, though, right now. If if you look at his strikeout rate, he's striking out more than a batter per inning. Uh, He's walking a few more guys than you'd like to see. I think that's been sort of a hallmark of his since he came up to the big leagues. Um, But you don't have to squint hard here to see a pitcher that has the potential for, you know, an elite season. And he's got his ground ball rate up about 10% higher than it's been at any other time with the Red Sox, which is one thing that I'm going to be monitoring a little bit going forward.
2: See, I don't really care about the ground ball rate. I'm in on flyball starters, so um, I think he can succeed as a fly ball guy. The thing with Rodriguez is that he has to be confident in more than two pitches at a time, and he can't just throw his fastball all the time. That's what he did in the first inning last night. Was that last night when he pitched?
0: Right? Yep. Yep, that was last yeah. night.
2: Yeah, I think 11 of his four, first 14 pitches were fastballs. That first inning was like all fastballs. That's when you know he's going to be in trouble. Um, I've read, I mean, I've been writing about him for a few years now. I've said he's my favorite guy to write about just because he's so confusing. He's His secondaries are really good, and he just can't consistently rely on them. And I don't know why. It's so frustrating. But, I mean, if he has a start where he comes out and he's throwing – fastball changeup, that changeup is nasty this year. It's by far his best pitch. If he's throwing that a lot and getting his slider and cutter mixed in, he's going to be awesome. If you see that he's only throwing his fastball, he's probably only going to pitch three innings. I mean, that's pretty much where we're at with him.
0: Well, if 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 that's the the formula for success for him, I think we've been seeing more of that this season than we have in past seasons because his change up rate is at a career high right now, twenty two point seven percent. He's throwing his cutter thirteen percent of the time, which is way the hell more than he's ever thrown it. And he's still throwing that slider about ten percent of the time. So it's less fastball this season.
2: It has been a, um like I said, that he was not terrible outside of that first inning yesterday, and that first inning was when he was throwing all fastballs. Um, it's something he's kind of hinted that his knee kind of held him back from being confident in the breaking balls last year, and he said that he would probably feel more comfortable with the cutter and slider now that he had the surgery, and that is kind of panning out so far. So I'm still excited about him. But until I see it on a consistent basis, I'm going to be a little bit wary.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, He's certainly the guy with the ceiling, but he needs to have it all going at the same time for it to work. So, yeah. Um, Should we get to some listener questions here? Yeah, sure. All right. So we're going to do some listener questions now. And then after the listener questions segment, we are going to have Ian Kundal of Sox Prospects come on. Uh, so there'll be a little bit of a gap there, and then you'll get that. Okay, guys? Uh, first listener question is uh, from Ben Carsley. Ben Carsley, uh, old uh-huh. friend of the pod here, uh, Matt's best friend. Uh, uh-huh. he, he says, is Drew Pomerantz the least appreciated Red Sox since J.D. Drew? Matt, what do you think?
2: Uh, no, he's in the discussion. I still say Clay Buckholtz and Jacoby Ellsbury. Oh, I'm more underappreciated. They won World Series, so you would think that they would have a little bit of a buffer. But they don't. They are despised, and it makes me sad.
0: I actually like J.D. Drew more than I like Ellsbury, and I like Ellsbury more than I like Clay Buckholz. So uh, I don't like Clay Buchholz at all.
2: Uh, Buckholz is so I was definitely on the Buckholz good train. But, I mean, Ellsbury is my favorite Red Sox position player.
0: Ever. But that J.D. So. Drew home run, though.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, Ellsbury stealing
0: home. To Kobe Bellsbury.
2: Yeah, Bell is very He's, like, the best-looking guy in the world. No, I mean, I think Pomerantz is definitely up there. And if he pitches well in a World Series run and still is treated like this, then I would say he's probably at the top of the list. But, I mean, buckholtz is seen as, like, this – soft guy and then he came out in 2013 and was throwing like 85 miles an hour and clearly hurt and still gutted his way through a good World Series appearance and that earned him zero credit so that always made me a little sad
0: his inconsistency though made Drew Pomerantz's inconsistency look quite consistent
2: yeah the dirty little secret about Drew Pomerantz though is that he hasn't really been inconsistent except for this year
0: yeah no i i think pomerantz has been good for his time i here. like
2: pomerantz a lot yeah. yeah i think i don't know maybe i'm not as tuned into the lamestream media as i was during like the buckles and Ellsbury years what a hipster so i don't know <laughs> i don't i don't know maybe i don't know what people i feel like people like pomerantz more i don't know
0: i don't know his face is kind of weird looks kind of like a thumb yeah he looks like it's a thumb weird. it's a weird thing to say yeah you know, maybe it's Elsbury has a good face. Elspur's got a great face. I don't know why people don't like him more. And I thought J.D. Drew had a stoic face, but certainly a handsome guy. Yeah, I yeah. guess. I Clay Buckholtz had a good face. No, he didn't. Clay Buckholtz <laughs> looks like a meth head. against <sighs> he <gets> meth heads, Jesus. <laughs> All right, so next question. Um, Tom Pringle, uh, he asks us, uh, what is our favorite Red Sox Spoonerism? And he gives us these options. Hawk Brolt, Buki Metz, Bander Zogarts, Landry Sion, Calix Aura, or choice of your own.
2: None of those are good.
0: <laughs> Do you have any <laughs> of your own that you think are good?
2: Yeah, poo-dramarans. Poo-dramarans. Poo Dromerance. Poo Dromerance? Yeah.
0: Poo That's the only good one. I like that. What would... Uh... <laughs> the best one would be Mitch Moreland because it's Mitch Moreland
2: yeah no that's <laughs> such a lame joke I was going to say that and then I was like nah that's yeah. that's super lame I'm Keith Hepburn is you. the same joke
0: yeah <clears throat> um, what would uh, what would Dustin Pedroia be it would be Postin de Droya? Yeah, yeah
2: that doesn't really roll off the
0: tongue no you know what if I had to go with any of these I, I think I would go with Calix Aura that that he put out there. I mean, which of these is the, they all stink, right? That I said. Yeah, I don't know. Let's 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 go with yours. Poo drama yeah. rants. There we go. Poo. Jig caustic asks us when Thornberg comes back, which reliever is the casualty and why is that choice a mistake and who should go instead? This is uh this is what we were talking about. What yeah, is your what is your actual guess for what happens when this occurs?
2: Well, so, I guess I mean, it depends. He's probably gonna come back after, right? So. You're right about that. Yeah, good one. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm gonna say somebody's gonna to go to the DL, and then Velasquez is gonna get optioned. I hate that. I don't like it either. But so I who should go instead? I think. I don't really like the idea of trading Brian Johnson, if we're being honest. I don't think they're going to get much back, and I think he's more valuable on the roster than not. And eventually we're going to get to a point in the season where a bunch of pitchers start getting hurt. It's going to happen. So.
0: But you don't have a choice, Matt.
2: <sighs> I would option Velasquez. I think I would. Wow.
0: Okay, so keep the depth.
2: Keep the depth, yeah, I guess. Wow. I don't feel good about it, though.
0: No, I don't like that. But I don't like not having depth either. But I just... I guess my thing here is that when you look at the Pawtucket roster, there are so many guys who could come up and be potential relievers for your team who still do yeah, have options.
2: But they so, could also be bad. I mean I'm like the biggest Jalen Beaks fan in the world, but he's amazing. He is. I like him a lot. I don't know that he's gonna be able to come up and like be Brian Johnson. Johnson is like steady.
0: He's steady, but he's not great. I mean, he's got a mid-four zra right now. He's I don't he's care fine,
2: like, yeah, right? I mean, I watch him. I feel confident when he's on the mound.
0: All right, all right. Uh, next question here comes from Trevor Shackles. He says, "Is there a worse defensive second baseman in the league than Nunez right now?" I don't know. I haven't looked into this. Is there anybody who grades out worse than him? I don't. No.
2: Uh, I did look into this actually, and. No, not like on a per inning basis. Although he has like way fewer innings than anybody else that was up that high. So I didn't actually do the math, but I'm assuming he
0: is the worst. He is the captain of suck, but I still love yeah.
2: him. I, I like him a lot, but he is like super bad. It's like every game there's one play where you're just like, what, what are you doing, bud?
0: <laughs> Next question here comes from Jorge, and he says, MFK, Ellsbury, Papelbon, and K. Matt, I think we know who your F is on this one.
2: No, I'm marrying Ellsbury.
0: Oh, wow. I'm
2: locking I'm locking that shit down. Okay. I'm gonna kill Guy. <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and fuck Jonathan Papavon. He's a, he's a madman. That'd probably be a pretty wild night. so we'll go with that
0: one. Cool. Oh man. I, I think I would uh, I would go with uh, marrying Dice K, uh, spending a lovely evening with Jacoby Ellsbury, and uh, killing Papelbon. Papelbon is awesome, man. He was awesome. He's, he's in the like, conversation he's... for best Red Sox closer of all time. I think he is. I don't think it's much of a conversation.
2: Yeah. Turns to think... like longevity. He was like, yeah, he was super good. He's definitely had a problematic post Red Sox life. But in terms of how he was with the Red Sox, he was really good.
0: But don't you think he wouldn't be the best domestic partner? I don't know. I just feel like Dice K would. That's why I didn't marry him. Yeah. 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 There you go. Um, (laughs) uh, Our last question comes from Andy eh? Doerr, And he says, what's the plan with Swihart to be traded when Petey comes back? Andy, you had to go and bring this up at the yeah, very really end of the this. podcast. No, I don't want to do this. Um, we don't have to do
2: this.
0: We don't know what the plan is, Andy. I'm sorry. And if you want to hear more about the plan in a very loud way, uh, listen to last week's podcast. So, all right. We are about to get to Ian Kundle and uh, stay with us. All right. So thanks for staying with us. Uh, we do have our guest here. Uh, Ian Kundel is joining us. He is the director of scouting at SoxProspects.com. You can find Ian on Twitter at, at IanCundell. Ian, welcome to the
3: podcast. Thanks, Jake. It's been a long time coming, I feel like. It's, uh, it's good to finally be on.
0: Yeah, it, it certainly has. I, I know that we, uh, we over here admire your work, and uh, Chris Hatfield over there at Sox Prospects. It's a super valuable resource for anybody who is into the Sox minor league systems. Um, so hopefully we're going to get some good information today.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, the system's in an interesting state right now, but I, there's definitely still a lot of things to talk about. So I'm looking forward to it.
0: So let's start
3: at the top here.
0: Uh, the, the main man, Jay Groom, um, he's been often injured since he was drafted uh, mm-hmm. by the team. What I want to ask you is, does he still have the same ceiling that people imagined for him when he was drafted? Or has that been lessened by some of the injury and inconsistency that we've seen from, from him throughout his career?
3: I think that depends on what you thought his ceiling was when he was drafted. So, obviously, when Groom was drafted, he got a lot of pub as potentially being like a top three pick. He was one of the best high school pitchers they'd seen in a few years in the draft. And I think a lot of people kind of saw him as a true ace, which I don't, I'm not sure was ever his ceiling, or, you know, there's very few pitchers who have that ceiling. And if you kind of expected coming out of the draft, if you saw him as a potential number two, number three type starter, then I think that's the right that's still the track he's on if everything breaks correctly um, But so I guess if yeah, if you saw him as a like a number one or that's what you were hoping for I, I'm not sure he has that in him. Um, I mean, there's still time obviously developmentally and as you alluded to He's had a lot of injuries that have kind of slowed down the process um, Especially concerning to me is just that he's had this flexor strain pop up now two years in a row and anytime we're talking about arm injuries, it, it kind of you know, it concerns me and um, but and when you look at the stuff when he's on it's still there um i saw him a couple weeks ago down in florida in spring training and he dominated in spring training this year in minor league spring training and he was he threw the hardest i'd seen him um he was up to 96 which in the past i've seen him i want to say six or seven times over his first couple years including spring training instructs etc and the highest i'd ever seen him hit was 94 and so it was good to see him kind of reach back for that velocity that he supposed that I, we heard rumored to have out of high school when he supposedly was topping out at like 96 97 pretty consistently so I saw him up to 96 with the hammer breaking ball and that was kind of the guy you had expected whereas last year there was a lot of inconsistencies as you said he struck out a ton of uh he missed a lot of bats and had a lot of strikeouts I think I don't have his numbers up I can bring him up but I want to say he had yeah it's uh like 58 strikeouts and in 44 innings in low a last year mm-hmm. but the walks were high and he's just given up too much con- uh, hard contact. And that's a lot of that goes with the fastball command. And um, so that's obviously something he really needs to work on to reach his ceiling. And then I think the other thing is the development of the changeup. I've seen him throw some average ones, and then other times it's pretty below average pitch. And he's been tinkering with the velocity, it looks like. Sometimes I've seen it down at like 80 to 83, other times in the mid 80s. And this year in spring training, it looked a little better, but it's still going to be a work in progress. And In order to reach that ultimate ceiling, he's going to have to develop that pitch because you know there's very few two-pitch pitchers in the major leagues or two-pitch starters, especially in the middle to upper tiers of rotations. So if if that stuff comes along, then there definitely is still a lot of upside, and I still think he can be a very good pitcher. I'm just not sure it's a true ace upside, which I think some people kind of were expecting given his pedigree.
0: When you were able to see him, um, how would you grade out that curveball? Because a few people rated that as a 70 grade curveball when he was actually being drafted. Was it as good as advertised?
3: Oh yeah. The, the, the hitters had no chance. Um, I, I would 65, 70 curveball. Yeah. I mean, he'll, he'll, he, he he'll little inconsistent on a few of them, but when he really snaps it off, it's got that tight rotation, the depth you like to see. And it was just flummoxing minor league hitters, um, It was interesting to watch him pitch, too, because he was throwing against a team, uh, the Twins, because I don't know if you guys have talked about how the way they do spring training is they only play three other teams the entire spring. Mm -hmm. So the hitters who he's seeing, he's going to see several times over the course of the spring. And once the books kind of out on a pitcher in spring training, you'll see what there are adjustments to be made. And the twins hitters had seen him a couple of days or in his previous start as well, so they were laying off all the curveballs out of the zone, and so as a result, it meant that he just started throwing it in the zone, and he just got a ton of called strikes on it because the hitters just had no chance. They were just bailing because <laughs> they thought it was going to be a ball, and then it ended up just staying, you know, on the out, backdooring it on the outer half or just down and away from a lefty. So it was, it's a really, really impressive pitch. In terms of the fastball,
0: does he have a couple different variations? Does he throw just four seam or does he throw a two seam as well?
3: It's mostly four seams. He's thrown He. Th- – I've seen him throw a couple thing pitches at, like, 88 to 90 that I thought might have been two seams, but it also could have just been, like, a get-me-over fastball. Mm-hmm. So mostly it's just a four seam, but it's got good life, you know, and when he's throwing at 94 to 96, he doesn't have, he wasn't able to command it as much as he was when he was 91, 93 during spring training. But in 94, 96 from the left side, it really jumped on hitters, especially he's got a really free and easy delivery. So it kind of lulls you into a false sense of security when you see him coming towards you and then the ball just explodes out of his hand and given his height and, you know, he gets good extension. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's a pretty good pitch as well.
0: So it sounds like if he can develop a third pitch and become a little bit more consistent with his command, that ceiling is still within reach.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I we haven't pegged on the site as, uh, as having first division or as having like the best best case scenario for him, I think is like a 65 pitcher, which we have 70. But in between a 65 and a 70, which is in between a quality number two, number three, and then a number low end, number one, number two starter, regular all star type. So I think somewhere in that range is what he can be. And if he develops into that, that's a home run for the Red Sox. Heck, if he develops into a regular you know, mid-rotation starter, that's a home run pick.
0: Yeah, given how the team has been able to develop uh, starting pitching prospects the last few <laughs> years. Yeah, I exactly. think we will take that as a win. I'm um, guessing
3: you guys have talked about that one before. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Homegrown ad, pitching. <laughs>
0: ad, ad nauseum on this podcast, that's for sure. Um, one of the things that was surprising to me was that when rankings came out, there were a A bunch of different sites that actually had Michael Chavis ranked above Jigroom, Groom which um, I think was surprising to you guys over at Sox Prospects as well. Um, And Michael Chavis uh, just got that 80 game suspension. Uh, A lot of people are upset saying that this is going to hurt his trade value, uh, things like that. I know that you guys over at Sox Prospects weren't particularly concerned. Um, Can you tell me why people shouldn't be concerned about Michael Chavis in this 80 game suspension?
3: Yeah. The 80 game suspension. There is something concerning about him missing time, but it's not to do with suspension. It's to do that. He had another injury. That's the more concerning thing to me is that um, he keeps getting hurt. And, you know, it's a couple of years in a row now. He hasn't played a full he played most of last year. But then the year before he only had like 300 at bats. Um, he missed a, some time in 2014 as well. So that's kind of the more concerning thing. With the suspension, he's gonna miss eighty games. I mean, it's a couple, so it's two months or three months in Portland, but he'll still be back well before the trade deadline. And teams kind of know what he is at this point. They know the questions. They know what he needs to work on. And so and I, I no one's he's always had power. I, I I don't think that teams are gonna look at it, oh, he got whatever i'm not going to speculate but you know you kind of guess assume where it's going right no no one's saying that this this is someone who's always had power i I saw him in greenville back in 2013 or no 2015 and taking batting practice in the same group as yohan moncott and rafael devers and he was hitting the ball farther than both of them yeah and so so,
0: power is not a question for this guy
3: it's for me it's just it's about the defense and that goes back to the injuries um where the injuries he's had have kept him off the field. You know, we saw him last year in spring training. He wasn't playing, he wasn't uh, throwing the ball. He was just taking ground balls and I'm not sold. He's a third baseman long-term. And I think that's the bigger question teams have. And you know, he'll be back on the field in what I think it's mid June. I want to say is about when the 80 games is up end of June. So he's going to have a few weeks to get in the field and kind of show what he can do. And that's going to be the thing is he needs to get out there, be healthy, number one, and then show that he can make contact um, he's not going to strike out as much as strikeouts are all right to a point But he needs to make contact in order to tap into his power And then the bigger thing is just he needs to show that he can stick a third base because the black If he can stick a third base the bat becomes pretty valuable If we start talking about moves to different positions, it's not so much because first base I mean, I, I think he's undersized for first base personally. He's about 510. I would say 510 511 at best kind of a short stocky frame you don't see many first basemen with his size and i don't think he's athletic enough to play left field so you're kind of stuck with moving him to first base and then if you're a first baseman in the major leagues the bar's pretty high at the bat so puts a lot of pressure so he needs to just go out there and show that he can stick at third base and i think that's kind of the most important thing for when he comes back
0: Yeah, all those are legitimate concerns, and I think that's why I was so surprised to see him, you know, above Grom on some of these lists, um, because where is he going to play? That's that's sort of a big Mm -hmm. part of this equation. When you're talking about players that have issues making contact, and then guys who you're not sure where they're going to slot in, because at third base he hasn't been particularly impressive, and it's hard to imagine him being that successful at second base either— it's, it's there, there just are so many more questions than you'd want to have from your number two prospect at this point.
3: Exactly. And and that was the thing that was what surprised me as you kind of alluded to in the introduction. Um, I, when it comes to groom Grom, I'm not still not sure how you pronounce it, but, um, when it, when it, with him, you know, you can kind of, you know what he is, you can see what he is. If everything breaks, right. You see the ceiling with Shavis, I mean, if an average an average at best defender at third base who hits, you know, two sixty with twenty five to thirty home runs. I mean that that's definitely a very valuable player, but I'm gonna take the pitcher who has mid rotation to number two upside over that. Cause you can find as you can find bats like that. That's a lot easier to find than pitchers, as we've seen with the Red Sox system, especially. So that was definitely another I think groom kind of just got slammed because he was hurt so much last year, whereas Shavis, that was his first really healthy year. And he was kind of the sexy, you know, breakout pick last year when he played the entire year and hit, I think he hit 35 home runs, I want to say. And so I can kind of see why you would go that route if you're just looking at it in, that, in a vacuum, just looking at stats from last year. But other than that, I don't really see how you can put Shavis over a groom.
0: If he comes back this season and he goes back to third base and doesn't make much progress there and the decision then, ha- then comes that, He's going to have to move off that position how much value will chavis lose
3: a significant amount i would say um obviously the bat is still the carrying tool so even if you could stick at third base he's not going to be ever be you know a gold glove type defender or even probably above average he's gonna be an average defender at best but it's he needs to hit um and if he can do that while playing third base then he definitely has a chance to reach his ceiling but if he's doing that at first base comes a little more iffy.
0: Sounds like this is going to be a huge year for Michael Chavis.
3: Oh yeah, I, I he was someone who re, I was really looking forward to getting his spring training, and then he had the I want to I think it was an oblique injury yeah, during big league right. camp. And we don't I don't like to hear oblique injuries with power hitters. You know, we've seen that with a lot of big league guys, um, not necessarily the Red Sox, just around the game, that it really can sap your power. I think I mean you look like Will Myers had one recently, and he's already on the DL. So obliques are not something you're on a kind of mess around with that on the one hand it might be if he I'm not even sure he would have started the season even if he had made a roster because of the injury so yeah when he comes back hopefully he can show uh show his upside because uh, with the way the Red Sox are going they're going to need some chips to make moves or we assume Dombrowski's going to make moves because he always does and he'd be one of their biggest ones they could cash in potentially if he can show you know that he can stick at third base and hit
0: yeah, you make a good point. He's always seemed like that most logical trade chip for Dave Dombrowski, especially off the year that he had last season. So uh, he, he likes to sell guys at the top of their value, that's for sure. Um, I mm-hmm. want to talk about a Dave Dombrowski pitching pick, though. and Tanner Houck, who was the Red Sox first-round selection last year, um, it seems like they drafted this guy to change his mechanics and make him into a completely different pitcher. Um, I wanted to hear from you sort of how are those changes going? What are the changes and how do you think they'll affect them going forward?
3: Yeah, so unfortunately, he was someone I I did not see at spring training. Um, we were going to see him and it's just supposed to. So we drove all the way up to Sarasota to see him and then they bumped him up to double A Portland. So he ended up throwing back at Fort Myers. So Chris was able to see him um, and the changes, the main changes he made was that he changed his arm slot. Uh, I don't know. I have we have some video on our player page of him, um, and in the scouting articles from last year. But he he used to throw from a low three quarters kind of sling it arm slot, um, kind of similar to how the arm slot that Chris Sale throws from. Just picture it from the right side. Mm-hmm. And what he changed it is uh, he adjusted it more to a true three quarters. So he raised it up, um, up more vertical. And it, which is interesting because a lot of how it hit, his stuff kind of played when I saw him last year was that it's a really difficult arm slot to pick up if you're a righty, especially because you know when you're coming from that low arm slot, you're coming across your body, a lot of moving parts. Because he's a, he's a big guy, he's about six foot five, two twenty. We have him listed as, and they've kind of gone to a more you know traditional three quarters arm slot. Um, he's not really throwing his two seam or sinker as much as he used to. And he's become more of a fastball, uh, spike curveball guy. Which is interesting, because last year he was kind of a two-seam, sinker, slider guy. So he's just remaking his entire arsenal and delivery, which you don't really see for college pitchers. That's more more something we've seen with high school guys. Um, Like Michael Kopech's a pretty good example of someone who the Red Sox, he came in the first year, they let him throw with his normal delivery, and then the offseason they tinkered with it and kind of cleaned up a lot. And we've seen what happened to Kopech now. But how has come out with his new delivery and the velocity is still the same, uh, during spring training when Chris saw him, he was up to 97, uh, you know, he was 95, 97, um, for some dropping down into the low nineties when he was throwing his two seam. And the thing that it's always his fat four seam is just really straight and he doesn't have great command of it. And so when you leave it up in the zone, you're going to get hit, mm-hmm. um, versus that he had the two seam last year. And when he had that going, he could bury that down in the zone get a lot of weak contact on the ground. Whereas this year you look, um, it's given up four home runs in 15 games, um, only 11 hits, but, uh, the, his ground ball rate is down considerably compared to last year, you know, down from 48% last year, down to 36% this year, fly ball rate is up a tick and the line drive rate is up a lot, which he's showing people are squaring up up a lot more, which is going to happen if you're throwing about four seams versus two seams, which are harder to square up, but it seems like it's something the organization, um, Wanted to do, and it's going to take some time, which is why I think that people you kind of have to have to. You can't think of him as a normal college pick, right? He's someone who's going to take longer developmentally, and he's you know added a new curveball. Also, I, I don't, I'm not sure if I mentioned that. Um, yeah, he used to be, th- curve, yep. yeah, it was just slider change up last year, so now he's throwing a curveball. Also, will also still throwing his slider. So I think it's just going to be kind of a work in progress, and um, but the thing is. I, when I saw him last year and talking to a lot of scouts who had seen him, people weren't sold he was a starter. Right. And these changes to me kind of scream, this is designed to give him a better chance to be a starter long term. Because it's a more more traditional uh, arm slot, kind of developing a four-pitch mix, four-seam slider curveball changeup versus last year he was really just a two-seam ch- uh, slider guy. Yeah, so, that's yeah, that's interesting.
0: That's what I was going to ask you. And so I'm glad you you, you said that. Uh, it, there was all that talk about, you know, if if this doesn't work out as a starter, he could end up as a back end bullpen guy uh, as his floor. So this really seems like they're banking on that future. And they invested in the pitcher himself, not necessarily what he was,
3: which and I, I, I like that path developmentally, because if you're going to take a guy in the first round, you can't take someone who you're projecting as a bullpen arm. Right. You know, you need, you need, if you're, you're picking in, I don't know where, I think he went 24th. I want to say he got, you know, 2.5 million or something along those lines. When, when you're drafting a guy like that 2.6, you, you want to get a starting pitching prospect out of it. And if this gives him a better chance to start, and as long as he's, you know, it was when, when you're tinkering with pitcher mechanics and delivery, you need both sides to buy in, you know, it when, when you only, when it's something the organization is pushing on a pitcher or vice versa, the pitcher just does on their own. I don't think it works out very well. But if you have both sides are behind something and then even if the stats aren't so great first for the first, you know, even year, um, if the long term it works out, then you're going to look like geniuses and it's obviously going to be the right decision.
0: What's the sort of success rate with making these sort of changes? Because changing your arm slot's a big deal to a pitcher.
3: Yeah, you don't see it very often this way. Um, you, the Red Sox have a tendency. I, I've noticed they do this a lot with left handers uh, in the bullpen. And... Um, you, the guys like a Williams Harris is an example of someone who's done it right now. Who's dropped his arm slot. Uh, there's other guys who have, um, Manny Rivera. I don't know if you ever remember him, but he's, that's a way back name, mm-hmm. but usually it's kind of a last resort thing where, um, okay, well, this isn't working. Let's try this. It's not, they haven't done it very often with someone like a starter to this degree, like Kopech's changes were more just kind of getting him to use his lower half, more changing, um kind of getting more extension things along those lines it wasn't a true arm slot switch so it, it hasn't v- happened very often First, trying to give someone a better chance to start that i can remember
0: wow well, it'll be interesting to see how it develops he certainly has the uh the, the stuff to to make it happen so hopefully yeah when, when
3: he's on it's it's really electric stuff he's got a huge arm but as you said it's kind of the nuanced stuff and the pitchability aspect that he really needs to develop well, one guy that
0: certainly has surprised us this year so far with his development has been Jalen Beeks. Uh, he's been incredible so far this year in AAA. Um, and I want to ask you, has, your perf- has his performance so far changed your expectations of what he could be? Because this is a guy that we talked about as potentially being a number five starter, back end starter, or a bullpen arm, more likely a bullpen arm. Does this change his major league role in the future?
3: I'm going to hedge a little bit. I apologize for this because I haven't yet seen him this year. Um... But if he can miss bats like this and the key is he can he can hold velocity. I mean, he's working pretty deep into games. I was looking at his game log, um, not not his first two games, but last two games, six innings and five and two thirds. If he's holding velocity and missing bats in the second and third time through the order, then, yeah, potentially could um, bump him up to more like a back end starter type. The thing that's just tough with Beaks is just there's no physical projection. You know, he's five foot ten, five foot eleven. And for a pitcher, it's just, you don't see many pitchers that height who are starting pitchers. Um, you know, you look at like someone like Marcus Stroman's five, nine. Um, and other than that, I can't think of anyone under six feet. Who's a starter. Maybe Sonny gray. Sonny Gray, yeah. Okay, yeah. there's another one. But um, it's just a very rare thing. And so when you kind of see that body type, that's the first thing that screams bullpen. But, I mean, I, I know there are, there are plenty of scouts I've talked to who do think he can be a starter, while there are others who think he's better suited, kind of how the Red Sox are using Hector Velasquez and Brian Johnson right now.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: In that swing man, you know, you can make a spot start, but you can also come out of the bullpen and give you three innings to bridge if a starter gets knocked around early. And I, I think that role is kind of becoming more more accepted in baseball as being an actually extremely valuable piece. And I do wonder if that is ultimately how he could be best suited. Like he could start, but I think the stuff based on what I've seen in the past now, obviously this could all change, you know, and if next time I see him in a couple weeks, but in the past it's just, he's just got a bunch of average ish pitches with more velocity um, than someone like Brian Johnson though, you know, his fastball, I've seen him up to 95 before. And, you know, he does have the changeup. the change up, his changeup is, I would say, is a little better than average. And um, he's working, he's added, he's scrapped a slider, he's added the cutter in 2017, which I do like that change also. So he's definitely tweaking things and he has four pitches. It's just, is any, is one of them going to be developed enough to be a compliment to his fastball to allow him to turn the overorder at the big league level? And that's, I think, still the question is, you know, can he get through the lineup two or three times and hold his stuff, um, given he's undersized? And the mechanics well, he's made considerable progress with them, You know there was a lot of effort and a lot going on with his arm and he had a trunk twist and rocked back and had a bunch of stuff in his delivery. He's done a really good job of cleaning that up over the course, uh, each year it's kind of improved. And so I, he has a much better chance of starting now than he did when he first signed. Um, but I still think the jury's out, and I even if he is a starter, I do wonder if his best role might not be in that bullpen role where he can, you know, pitch two to three innings. Because if you've got a lefty coming out of the pen who can run it up to the mid 90s, with a couple secondary pitches that if a hitter he sees once, they're not going to have, you know, they're not going to get a good look at it. Mm-hmm. Then that's definitely something that's very interesting in the modern, you know, modern way pit uh, managers use their bullpens.
0: Yeah, and I think that's very attractive to the style of managing that we've seen from Alex Cora so far. He's been really willing to use Hector Velasquez in that type of role. He's used Brian Johnson in that type of role. We've taken to calling it on the podcast the Alfredo Aceves role. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, Yeah. we we love the Alfredo Aceves. But yeah, Jalen Beeks could be electric in that role, especially, you know, if your starter only goes three or four innings, have him come in and... Uh, you know be that sort of a swing guy
3: I mean that saves the whole pen right? Exactly it allows you to you know you maybe carry that extra bat on the bench and if, if he's missing bats at the rate he is that's a potentially lethal weapon out of the bullpen I mean his strikeout rate right now is just 45% when his career high excluding his one season in the GCL is 28% last year that's just that's insane so yeah he he's someone that's definitely very interesting in his stock Kind of, in, you know, as a whole, he's one of the guys who's been the standout performers I think this year in the Red Sox system.
0: So, do you think uh, for the for the upcoming rankings, he could be a, a climber for
3: you? Yeah, guys? I, he actually already has. I actually had him. We, we do kind of a consensus rankings, and he's been someone that I've been a little higher on, and uh, he's back in. He's out actually up to number eight right now, just oh, behind wow. uh, Darwin's and Hernandez.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's yep. a, that's what a five point jump for him
3: correct yeah Nice. the thing though we we kind of talked about a little bit on our podcast is the way the system is kind of settled right now you you could pretty much rank anyone from about eight to 12 before the season we were saying in any order it was kind of a preference thing or eight to 13 kind of a similar tier but uh beaks has definitely been the standout of that crew it was a pretty easy decision to push him up to eight
0: Yeah, it certainly seems like he's earned it so far. Looking at your updated rankings for May, though, uh, today, I noticed that eight of your top 15 prospects uh, were all pitchers. Uh, And we alluded to this earlier in the show, but Dave Dombrowski, I want to ask if he's doing anything different with the team's approach to pitcher development, because this has been an area where the team has historically struggled over the past 10 or so years. Does this mean that he's changing something, or is this just a reflection of a relatively weak system?
3: I think it's more of the latter. Um, the system's definitely down. There's not many bats, but I think it's also that if you look, you know, the past couple of drafts, they've been using a lot of their early picks on pitchers, uh, 2016 was groom. Then they also took Sean Anderson now traded Schwarn, Mike Schwarn, who's in the top 10. Um, and then 2017, you had Tanner Houck, you had Jake Thompson, Alex Scherf, the guys they are kind of giving money to a lot of them are pitchers. So I think it's kind of a combination of those two things. Um, but. I also think there's, there is some credence to that where, you know, it seems like they're making changes, uh, with their support staff around in the front office. You know, you've got like guys like Brian Bannister, who obviously is now is up with the major league club, but when he was first brought in, it was in a, in a role working with the minor leaguers and they've kind of got their, uh, it seems to me maybe there's a little more emphasis on kind of the analytic side with the minor league pitchers. I don't, I don't, this is just uh, based on kind of what seeing the hirings and seeing who's around the game and. So I think that they might have uh, kind of more emphasis on developing pitchers because they probably recognize that that's something they've really struggled with. But I also think it is that if you look at the trades they made, most of a lot of the high-end guys they were dealing were their hitters, you know, guys like Moncada, Marco, et cetera. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: They're either traded or up in the big league, so it kind of left them with just a bunch of pitchers.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, One of the things I wanted to ask you about was – The state of the system in terms of power hitting. You and Chris have talked about it on your podcast a few times that that might be one of the biggest issues. Um, Do you see anybody coming up who can solve that sort of gap that the Red Sox have with uh, little to no power bats coming up?
3: I I think that there's there's a few guys and they they made it especially in the international market last year um they seemed to kind of try and sign a few of those guys um obviously there was the tragic thing the tragic uh daniel Flores situation when he was seen as kind of one of a uh, big power bat for a catcher and hit also um but someone like danny diaz is, is seen as an offensive first third baseman with big power and um guys similarly in the draft guys like bobby dahlbeck They've brought in who they haven't drafted in guys like him. They haven't really drafted in past years, to be honest. You know, power first, hit second Mm -hmm. type players. And so if guys like Dahlbeck and Diaz develop, that's two legit power bats. Um, Another guy potentially like that who will show big power in BP. It hasn't translated into games yet, though, is uh, Pedro Castellanos, who's the first baseman down in Greenville. Um, His BP during spring training was very good. Uh, He showed pretty easy pull side power. But as of he's kind of gotten off to a slow start, which I can understand given that whole Greenville team has and the weather has not been ideal mm-hmm. down there. Um, probably hasn't been it's been still been better than the Northeast, but yeah, um, better than yeah. Portland, <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, that, <laughs> that's situation that's a rough one, yeah. But um, it's still a lot of those guys, uh, they're still you know years away, so it's not anything we're not going to see any immediate changes, but there are you know there were years like I think we I might have mentioned on the last our podcast last time there there were uh, a couple years where I didn't see a single person hit a home run in Lowell during batting practice for the entire year
0: yeah
3: and like now you know in the last couple years that they, they're finally you know guys like Dahlbeck Dahlbeck would put on shows in Lowell in a given day or you know so it seems kind of just there was a lull in the system in between when the Shavis and the Moncada Devers crew went through um, you know a couple bad drafts here a couple bad international windows and Obviously, they were banned from signing guys for a couple years, too. So it's with the new rules. I think it's a lot harder to add talent to the system. And when you do, you have to hit on it. And if you miss on guys that you think are those power bats or you kind of think you have is the big, potential big time players, it creates a lull. And that's kind of what we what we were seeing. But I think they're trying. It's kind of coming out of it right now.
0: So one guy who has been hitting the ball pretty hard recently is C.J. Chatham, uh, who's been playing down at Greenville. Um, I wanted to know, do you think that he's going to be one of the first in line for a promotion uh, since he's been hitting so well? But also, I know that he's been dealing with some arm trouble, so he hasn't been playing in the field much. What's the status with Chatham?
3: Yeah, I, I I don't think he's going to get promoted until he's playing the field. And um, I was talking to someone who's actually down in in Greenville, uh, seeing Greenville right now. And he during infield today, he was just not throwing at all still. And so I, I don't know if, if, as you said, if it, what what the situation is there in regards to um, the injuries. They've been really tight-lipped on that. But I know uh, he was coming off uh, the major surgery last year to his groin. i almost positive,
0: mm-hmm.
3: or hamstring. Sorry. And I don't know if that's still something that's lingering or what the deal is there But I I don't think he's gonna get promoted until he's playing the field um, especially because up it up in Salem right now at shortstop They have someone in Santiago Espinal who is I actually pretty really like um in terms of one of the like the middle middle tier prospects in the system and They also have I'm pretty sure they have a full DH spot right now, too yeah they have Kyrie Washington DHing. so if he can't play the field there's not much point into getting him out of Greenville so until he can prove that I I think he's kind of stuck in that area is what he's
0: doing with the bat impressive right now at Greenville or considering the fact that you know he's a second rounder is this just sort of what you'd expect
3: yeah I would I he given it he's technically I mean he's not really repeating since he didn't play last year but a 23 year old guy with his pedigree should be able to hit low a pitching um it's not really. I'm not going to be looking really at his numbers or how he's g- going up to the plate until he gets a little higher in the minors, given his age and how much more advanced he should be than the guys he's facing. Have you seen him in the field? I have. Yeah, I saw him in Lowell a bunch. Mm-hmm. I, he's good at he's good at shortstop.
0: You think he can stick?
3: Yeah, he, which is a little surprising because he's six four, but right. um, he's got a plus arm. Uh, he's not not the, he's not a great athlete, but he's and he's not that not that fast but he's got good in, really good instincts and he's got really long strides you know when you're six forward helps you he can uh, if you have a quick first step and you get you can read the ball off the bat he can really close range down very quickly um, and charge the ball really comfortably and the footwork's good good hands so yeah i, I think he could be like a solid average to, to like a 55 60 defender at shortstop
0: wow yeah that could be a future utility guy for sure
3: Exactly, especially if he because I think he has he has the arm to play third base I think you could probably put him at second base, maybe even in the outfield and so yeah It's just the question is the bat um, because he doesn't have much power at all He doesn't really have a swing geared to power either And so it's how much is the bat gonna develop and obviously the health, you know, this is the second straight year um, He's had pretty significant injuries or sorry third year in a row because if you remember right before he signed uh, he fractured his thumb in the regional oh, when he yeah. was at florida atlantic so he missed a bunch of time his first year he missed basically all of last year and he still is not playing the field this year so we're running on three straight years now with some sort of injury that's kept him off the field in some capacity which is obviously not ideal
0: man you got to feel for the guy at this point you just want to see him out there playing
3: exactly i'm sure it's probably it's way more frustrating to him than it is to you know anyone looking on it from the outside too so yeah. Hopefully it's something that kind of figures itself out soon and we can get him out there and see him in the field because I, I know either Greenville, Salem, wherever he ends up, could definitely use him.
0: Um, another guy that I wanted to talk about was Darwinzen Hernandez. This is maybe the most exciting Red Sox pitcher to me uh, in their system this year to watch. Uh, reportedly he added a new slider. I want to know, have you seen that pitch and what is his ceiling now that he's added that pitch?
3: I did see it in spring training. Uh, he only threw three of them, of course, in the game we were at. Um, so it wasn't a good look. It wasn't much of a look. Um, what, from what we saw, it looked kind of like an averageish pitch, but we've heard reports uh, that it has looked much better in other outings. So I, it's something I kind of need to see it. Um, as for his ceiling, I don't – unless the slider develops into like a wipeout plus, you know, a 60-65 pitch, I don't think it really changes the ceiling. Um, I kind of saw it, it – with him, it's going to come down to fastball command, you know, mm-hmm. He misses a ton of bats, and he's got a big arm. You know, I've seen him up to 97 before from the left side. And this year he's got 19 strikeouts, 16 innings. Last year it was 116 and 103, but 12 walks in 16 innings. Um, Well, First, actually, with him it's control first. We need to figure out the control, but then move on to the commands. Because, you know, it's all well and good if you're topping out on high 90s with a couple average to better secondaries, but if you can't throw strikes or quality strikes, it doesn't do you any good. Right. And so, if he can take steps forward with the commands, um, and the secondaries continue to improve, and even if the slider only develops into like an averageish pitch, I think he could be a mid rotation guy. Um, that's I think the ceiling. Um, most likely, if you had to tell me, ask me right now, I would guess that he ends up as a middle reliever, kind of a seventh inning guy, not a middle, like a seventh inning arm, seventh maybe eighth inning arm, especially if he's up to 97. Um, and shows he, that way, especially in the bull time too He could focus on one of the secondaries, but I, I do think he has a chance to start It's just it's gonna take some time and my concern is he's 40 or he's rule 5 eligible this offseason. Oh, wow Yeah, so he's gonna have to be added to the 40 man. He will be added but that's gonna start the option clock and you know He's in Salem right now. I would guess maybe he ends the season in Portland if everything goes perfectly, right? but the clock's gonna start ticking next year when it comes to developing as a starter. So they might kind of, their hand could be forced in a few years where they have to kind of make a decision, do we continue on this route or do we try to put him in the bullpen? Because the stuff definitely would play in a bullpen role.
0: Well, that's one guy I'm gonna be tempering my expectations a little bit on. I think I got a little over uh, overzealous with the Darwins and hype.
3: <laughs> I mean, I like him a lot. I, I think that we have him like number seven in the system. Um, and I think he's definitely, he's a very intriguing guy. It's just, it's still raw, and the combination of he's still pretty raw, but he's also been in the system for five years, Right. or this is his fifth year. It, it puts him in kind of a, rough, a tough situation.
0: Yeah, that he needs to develop very quickly. Uh, exactly for, for that to matter for the Red Sox at all. So, yeah, that definitely makes it more difficult. The,
3: the stuff though, when when it's on, is electric. I mean, there aren't very, you don't see very many lefties up to ninety seven, you know, with three fringy to average secondary pitches um, in the in the system, so yeah, it's it's just it's going to be a work in progress, but um, what we're going to see, I guess.
0: Do you think that um, with that window closing quickly for Hernandez, that he could be a trade chip?
3: Uh, I mean, yeah, there there would definitely be other teams that he's if you're going to come to the Red Sox system and you're looking kind of in the mid tier range for guys that kind of the profile of guys the Red Sox trade, I think he fits it really well um you look back you know guys like he not necessarily apples to apples comparison but someone like sean anderson they traded last year um gerson batista they traded in the past logan allen players like that they, they seem to deal like to deal from their pitching depth and obviously every team needs pitching and so if you find someone who thinks Star is a surefire starter then he def- he might that could be a definitely a very valuable trade ship
0: yeah Certainly, someone will uh, have to keep an eye on as his development. Um, I, I wouldn't temper
3: continues. your expectation or your your excitement too much, though, because when when you look at the system, I think ceiling-wise, behind Groom, Mata, and Hauk, he's probably number four for me in terms of upside as a starter. Okay. So I, I, I wouldn't temper your expect. He's definitely an exciting guy. Um, it's just, it's it's just a weird place as we kind of alluded to or I we discussed earlier, because it's his fifth year but he's still on high A, and the clock starts next year, and he just, has, he just still has things to work on. He's on the raw side, but, man, yeah, the stuff is really good if he's on. All
0: right, so definitely going to be watching his starts if I can this year. Um, breakout pitcher of the year. This is something that I wanted to talk about because uh, I'm going to ask you two, two categories, breakout hitter and breakout pitcher, and then pitcher who will increase his value the most and hitter who will increase his value the most. Uh, to give the listener an idea here of what we're talking about, uh, breakout pitcher and hitter is going to be someone who's a little bit deeper, someone who could be in that top 20 discussion uh, for prospects as the year goes on. And p- pitcher or hitter who will increase his value the most, that's the player who's going to sort of increase his trade value or value to the team the most. Um, let's start with breakout pitcher of the year. Who do you have?
3: Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to hedge and put two names if that's all right. Yeah, um, sure. They're both from the Greenville rotation, um, just because one of them is someone we were going to talk about later. So Um, one of them is Cutter Crawford, and the other one is Jonathan Diaz. Uh, Crawford is off to an outstanding start in Greenville, um, which you got to give the caveat: college pitcher in Greenville. But he was a 16th round pick last year, so and he only threw, I want to say, one inning. Yeah, so he's not someone who comes with a lot of hype, but he's off in his first 24 innings in Greenville. He's got 36 strikeouts and only six walks. Um, And he's only given up six runs. So he's he's been their best pitcher by far in, for that team that's really struggled. And he's someone who's interesting to me just because he comes with pedigree. His brother was actually Jonathan Crawford, who was the first-round pick of the Tigers out of Florida back in, I want to say, 2014 maybe? Okay. 2013. Um, and we saw him down in spring training. He was someone who kind of stood out to us as someone to watch. Um, Chas Frito, who works with me over in the scouting department at Sox Prospects, uh, wrote him up recently and we see he saw a four pitch mix uh the fastball was up to 93 of course he throws a cutter because cutter <laughs> cutter crawford to. exactly i think it's a rule <laughs> um but he threw a cutter and a break and a curveball and then a changeup. and um the cutter was his best pitch uh which hard hard late uh horizontal movement and he was just someone that was interesting to us. and obviously he's got up to a really good start so i i before the season i said that uh, or on actually on our uh recent episode i talked about that he was someone who my my kind of bold prediction was uh the first person to make it to the major leagues from that draft class was going to be him from last year's draft class was going to be him and that would be in a bullpen role which i think is might be where he ends up that's what jazz kind of thought but um this stuff is definitely interesting and he's someone who's missing bats at a really high level right now so uh, i he was kind of someone who uh we've already moved up a little bit and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends the season and you know the in the close to the number, uh, the top 20. Um, the other guy was Jonathan Diaz or do you want to? No, no, go for, okay. Go for it. Okay. The other one is Jonathan Diaz. Uh, he's a left left hander, uh, out of Venezuela who was signed back in 2014 or 2013. Sorry. So he's been around a few years, but he's another guy who's just been injured. Um, he missed all of a year 2015 due to a knee injury. I believe he tore his ACL and then, um, he's had other injury problems, um, over the last, uh, few years where he, so he hasn't thrown that much, but, this year, um, he's gotten he's down in Greenville and he's off to a pretty good start. He's got 25 strikeouts in 26 innings, he's given up a few too many hits, but I mean, Delbert, stats aren't that important, honestly, in the minors. Um, but he's just someone who he seems to know how to pitch. Uh, he fast, he's a lefty fastball. He can run up into the low 90s, and he um, kind of has, you know, four averageish pitches. Um, kind of a trend you'll see is the Red Sox have a lot of these guys, kind of pitchability types. Um, who it's fringy stuff, but if they can put the package together, maybe you get like a back end starter type. And he's someone, though, if he can kind of show all, all of his pitches, throw strikes, and miss bats, that De, who's val who's uh could be seen as kind of a breakout type this year, given he was so far off the radar coming into the year. Yeah, he's an
0: interesting guy. He doesn't throw anything particularly hard, but he seems to be able to have success,
3: exactly. And I, I mean, I'll give the Red Sox credit, they might not have had. Uh, necessarily develop starting pitchers over the year, but they definitely have guys come out of nowhere um, to make big league impacts. You know, you look at last year, Robbie Scott, or was it two years ago? It was Robbie Scott started. Yeah. Um, Robbie Scott, Ben Taylor last year. This uh, this year is Bobby Pointer. You know, they've found kind of guys. They've had guys come from completely off the radar to making major league impact, and so uh, you never know with these type of guys.
0: All right. So how about on the hitting
3: side? this one's going to be a little tougher. Um, the bats in the system are, are, uh, definitely on the light side. Um, but if you're looking the, for a guy who could move into the top 20, um, if he gets off to a strong start, I think, uh, someone like Tyler Dearden is uh, a good example of that. He's, he's in extended spring training right now. Um, but he was just pretty interesting when we saw him down in spring training, just cause of the tools. It's very raw. He's a Northeast high school guys from New Jersey. Um, was drafted in the 29th round last year, got assigned for 140k, but he looks the part. He's you know, six foot two, 175 pounds, good athlete, uh, projectable frame, long limbs. He's got a lot of development physically to do, but um, I've seen him show some pop in BP and at games. Uh, he can move a little bit, average ish arm. I like the swing, so he's someone to me who, uh, if he, he's, I think he's gonna go to Lowell and. If he shows that, uh, you know, as a 19-year-old, he can go to the Penn League and hold his own, then he's someone who I think will be uh, rising the charts, especially given the lack of depth in the outfield, in the system.
0: What's the swing look like right now for a guy like that? Um,
3: he's he, he knows what he's doing. Uh, the lack of strength hurts him a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. limits the bat speed some. But uh, he's got that nice little slight left-handed uppercut, gives him some loft in the swing. I saw him drive a home run uh, against the Twins deep to right center. And then he hit a double later in the game to left center. So this showed some ability to use all fields. Um, But it's obviously, you know, it's a lot of it's going to depend on how he goes physically, because right now he's a very skinny on the skinny side, given his, you know, he's six foot two, but listed 175, which is generous, 175 pounds. So we'll see.
0: At 19, it does seem like he's a guy who has the frame that he could probably bulk up a little bit more, though.
3: Oh, for sure. There's a lot. There's definitely projection. And he's a he's a good enough athlete that I think he could sustain added weight. And he's already got some feel for it. And I like how the hands work. So if he adds strength um, and the bat speeds, you know, is there, then definitely someone to watch.
0: Cool. Um, all right. So pitcher who will increase his value the most
3: this year? Sorry, muted for a second. Um, that one for me is going to be uh, Mike Schwarren. And you might be wondering why uh, someone in the top 10 is that. But Schwaren's in Portland, and if he proves he can be a starter, then his value is just immensely a lot higher than it is now. You know, right now, he's kind of stuck in that similar Jalen Beeks role or mode last year projection where he's probably a swing man. Some people think he can start, some people think he's more of like a fifth, sixth inning guy or, you know, a long relief type. If he can prove that he's a starter, and again, he's off to a strong start in um, Portland, then that's definitely something that's really interesting. Um, as we've talked about at nauseum, the lack of, the uh, Red Sox ability to develop starting pitchers. Um, he could be kind of that homegrown guy and he's on the cusp of, of being, you know, in the range of a call up, not this year, maybe at the very end potentially, but sometime next year. And if he can prove this year, he's a starter, then he could be a very valuable piece going forward.
0: He's someone who have had a little bit of trouble sort of pinning down what he could be when he came up to the big leagues. Um, what's a comp that you think Red Sox fans might know that Mike Schwarin could potentially be like when he gets up here?
3: The one that's, I don't really like doing comps with someone people have mentioned to me before is Vance Worley. I don't know if you oh, remember yeah. him with the Phillies. Yep. Um, they both wear the glasses too, which just one of those things. I don't know if that's part of the reason, but, um, <laughs> glasses comp. You know. yeah, exactly. Uh, a kind of like a back end starter type swing man role. And, um, Schwarin, he he's off to a great start this year and obviously he had a lot of pedigree coming out of maryland um back in i want to say it was the 2015 season yeah 2015 he was one of the best pitchers in college and kind of seen as like a potential first round pick then in the next year he had a little had a little bit of trouble um had some injuries in his junior year and obviously his stock took a hit um but they red sox gave him considerably over slot you know he uh he got almost three hundred thousand dollars more than the slot so they obviously liked him enough um and yeah, this year he's just, he's always shown the ability to miss bats, but the question still remained largely due to the arm due to his delivery. Cause he's got that low three quarter slot that we were talking about with Hulk uh, earlier mm-hmm. and there's a lot of pre-pitch movement, but if he proves he can start, you know, potentially you got an average change up above average slider and a plus fastball. Wow. That's that could play in the, if he can, you know, prove he's a starter. That's a really interesting guy. And in like, you know, like a number four type spot. And given the Red Sox, their salary obligations going forward and everything, any homegrown starter they can have is going to be a very important piece.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's something that we've seen in play more and more recently in these uh, these more salary conscious years with this team tied up with so many bad contracts. It's uh, certainly yeah. important to develop guys like that.
3: Well, and I think I want to say is Drew Pomerantz coming off after this year? Is he a free agent yep, after this year? He's a
0: free agent year? after this year, yep.
3: And so there's going to be some room in that rotation um, coming up. So if he can, especially yeah, you, then you got Porcello after next year, Sale after next year. In the next couple of years, the Red Sox are going to need to develop some homegrown guys in order to afford all their high end guys, especially with guys like um, Rodriguez is going to R, Bradley will be is in arbitration, Betts, Bogarts. They're going to have to start paying these guys pretty soon. So any kind of homegrown talent they can stick in the back end of their rotation or even in the bullpen or on the bench is going to be really important for long little forward everyone.
0: All right. So the last one here, um, hitter who will increase his value the most.
3: Okay. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck. If Bobby Dahlbeck can hit, he has, I would say the highest ceiling of any hitter in the system, including Michael Chavis.
0: I have to say, I'm surprised that you picked him. I did not think that. So from listening to your podcast as often as I do, I, I got the sense that you guys were a little bit down on Bobby Dalbec. Can you tell me why you think the profile works? Because he's as close to a three true outcomes guy as there is, I think, in the in the Red Sox system.
3: Yeah, it's he's he's the he's the most un, I, uh, he's the most on Red Sox prospect they have in the system. They just don't really draft guys like him, the three true outcome. Like uh, he he belongs in the Texas Rangers system. <laughs> um, but it's just his raw power is immense. He is he's built like a linebacker, six four, two twenty five, just jacked. Um, and it's easy, like the raw power is like seventy raw power. I mean, I you could maybe even I wouldn't put an eighty on it, but it's seventy raw power. The home runs, I've seen him hit in games. Some of them are just they have no business <laughs> being able to do that. Um, I saw him go like to right center, about four forty in Lowell. Um, over there's like a Coke or a milk bottle in Lowell that is, I don't know, 40 feet up in the air, and he hit it over it. And it's just certain things like that that you, you you don't see hitters do very often. I'd never seen a hitter even come close to it. And talking with someone who had been going to Lowell for years, they'd never seen someone hit a ball like that before there. And his power is just, he has, if he can just make enough contact to hit even like 230, he's going to hit 30, 35 home runs at the major league level.
0: So are we talking more power than a guy like Chavis?
3: Oh yeah, it's it's also easier because he's he's you know he's kind of the prototypical power hitter. Right. He's a genius. whereas Sha- Chavis is like five ten. He's just Chavis has built has got that he kind of looks like a catcher to be honest. Chavis he's got that short stocky frame, just huge thighs, huge biceps. Whereas Dahlbeck is just it's just like he's just a specimen, you know, just six foot four. Yeah, as I said, just looks the part. And the problem is as we kind of Moving by the elephant in the room is he has a lot of trouble making contact. Um, The strikeout rate right now is 33%, which is too high, and he's either yeah, it's home runs, strikeouts or walks. You know he's got a pretty good batter's eye. It's just the swing is long, has a lot of holes in it, and you know when you're swinging, he doesn't really even swing for the fences, which is the funny thing. You know it's just his swing, it's just the natural part of his swing that it's just got holes in it and. But he's got five home runs already in Salem, which in the early season Carolina League is one of the toughest uh, leagues to hit home runs in in all of the minors. Especially the Salem Park is huge and it is very difficult to hit home runs there. Obviously Shavis hit a bunch there, but I want to say Devers hit like four in double or in, in Salem when he was there. Wow.
0: Okay, so uh, that puts it in perspective.
3: Let me see. I can bring it up. Uh like guys like yeah, Betts so Mookie Betts in Salem. Hit, uh, hit seven home runs in his time there. Um, but Devers was the one. Where is it? He hit – oh, no, sorry. It was 11 home runs, but it was 130 games. Uh, Dahlbeck has six in like 20 games. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So, yeah, <laughs> the raw power, especially showing in Salem, is insane, but it's just he's hitting 210. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even guys like Joey Gallo, um, you know, Chris Davis, the extreme true outcome guys, those guys are hitting like 280, 300 in the low minors.
0: So are there so, any obvious things that he can do to sort of fix the length in his swing or make it a little bit more compact so he can make a little bit more contact?
3: I, I don't – I'm not sure. Um, he changed his stance when he signed with the Red Sox, which is I think kind of what started working for him back in uh, 2016. Because if you look, um, he was really good his 2015, his sophomore year at Arizona. Then his junior year, he started to struggle. Uh, the power went, and he only hit like 260. And when he signed with the Red Sox, he went back to his stance that he was using when he was in the Cape League, um, which was he was started he started slightly open and uh, he kind of has, had his hands high, uh, big leg lift, and so he started doing that and it really clicked. And that was the year in Lowell when he hit 397 home runs in 34 games, good for a uh, a 1,104 OPS. <laughs> um, <laughs> And that was where it really clicked. And part of that, I think, too, was also kind of not having to pitch anymore because he was a two-way guy at Arizona.
0: Right. He hated and, pitching.
3: And he didn't like pitching, yeah. And so now he could focus on hitting, and uh, it really clicked for him. But then last year he had the hamate injury, kind of a, a trend you're noticing. We're talking about hitter injuries with the Red Sox system. But um, he had a hamate injury last year, which I think required surgery. And, um, yeah, and he broke his hamate, And obviously that kind of really impacted his ability to hit last year. And um, last year was, you know, 246 with 123 strikeouts and 284 at bats. So that's not great. And then this year, and that's, you know, a 38% strikeout rate. So this year it's even down from last year, but still it's 34% with a, two, whatever, 215 average, you know, he's just got to make more contact. And if he can make contact, that's a very valuable player because he's got a huge arm at third base too. It's like a 70 arm, wow. which makes sense. Cause he was up to 95 on the mound. And I think the glove is, it's not a great glove again. Um, but it, it was, it would definitely play at third base. And so kind of that whole tool package was very interesting to me. Um, you know, you're looking at two well above average tools then maybe another another average one um he's well below average runner but the hit tool is probably the most important one when it comes to him or is the most important one when it comes to him and that's the one that at best you're looking at maybe if everything breaks correctly a below average tool but as i said if he does that then he's going to hit 30 home runs at the big league level
0: and the worst case scenario is that we all get to watch him hit moonshots for the next like three years in the minor leagues
3: (laughs) exactly well yeah the, the worst case scenario is he's in portland and 2021 hitting 240 with 25 home runs but you know it's one of those things that if he ever can just figure out how to hit he would skyrocket up the system but the reason he's down and you know i think he's 10th maybe yeah he's 10th right now is that i just i don't think he's going to be able to hit ultimately so it's a hedge but if he does watch out
0: All right, so we're going a little long, so I'm gonna get you out of here with two more guys. Uh, Quick hits on uh, Roldani Baldwin, and then um, one more, which I'm gonna leave a mystery.
3: Okay. Uh, (laughs) Baldwin. He's just coming. He was injured. um, Coming off of, I believe he broke his, refractured his wrist during spring training, I want to say. But he had a wrist injury, and he's just getting back with Salem now. Uh, He's got some power. I'm not sure he's a catcher and i'm not sure he can hit but um he's definitely got some power and kind of if he can if he shows he can hit enough figure out the position later but if he can catch it it becomes pretty interesting it's just i'm not i'm not, i don't think he can catch so that kind of kind of puts him in kind of a purgatory lane until he finds an ultimate defensive position all
0: right and then the last guy i want to ask you about is sort of my pet interest uh Tyler Esplin uh what's the deal with him uh, what's his future
3: uh, he's someone we saw spring training again. Uh, he was working out with the rookie ball guys, and I, I think he's he's someone who's going to be developed pretty slowly. Um, definitely on the raw side. He's very young for a high school guy. He's still only 18, even though he's been in the system for a year now. Um, so he's got some developmental time to go. But uh, he's got raw power. Um, we saw him during BP. You know, easy pull power, pull side raw power, and he's got a good arm, um, showing off out in right field. But uh, this he needs to work. Uh, bat speed is kind of fringy right now, um, and uh, he needs to work somewhat on the conditioning side, but if he can hit, then there's definitely an intriguing guy given the arm and the raw power potential.
0: All right. That's someone who I'll be looking at this year as well. Um, Ian, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a great look at the Red Sox system, and it seems like a system that certainly has some work to to go uh, to get where they need to be, but... Uh, it's on.
3: It's on an improving track. I, 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 the steps they've taken, I think the last couple of years have been positive. Which, um, not last couple of years, maybe in the last year or so since they made all the big trades, has been positive. Given how much talent they gave up, and um, you know, they've got some interesting guys, but it's just it takes time to develop guys and you know to fill those holes, and uh, that's kind of where in that transition phase right now.
0: Well, if you like prospects, you need to follow Ian on Twitter. Follow Ian on Twitter at. at Ian Cundall, I-A-N-C-U-N-D-A-L-L. And also check out SoxProspects.com. Ian, you post up there as well. You put write-ups. What are some of the other things that people can find up there?
3: Yeah, so we've got a we got a news page which has um, each morning there's a rundown of kind of the previous night's minor league action, and then that's also where our scouting stuff goes. Um, right now we're still uh, putting up stuff uh, based on the spring training trip because there's just so much material when you're seeing the system, you know, seeing the guys, um, everyone in the system over a week long period. But uh, pretty soon we're going to be starting having uh, scouting notes from the games on guys like Jalen Beeks, players like that. And then um, also we have uh, the rankings and the player pages. Um, Each player in the system has their own dedicated page with scouting reports if we've seen the player, um, links to the articles, video, stats. It's got everything. So if if you ever have any – if there's even an obscure player, we have a player page for them. So you can go check out uh, what we have on them there. And then the last thing is uh, the Sox Prospects Forum. Uh, It's a great place to get involved if you want to just kind of talk about anything to do with the Red Sox or the Red Sox minor league system. Uh, There's a lot of active contributors in there. Good discussion, so uh, check that out.
0: Is that where I can go to complain about the treatment of Blake Swihart?
3: It is. Are are your team free Blake Swihart, right? I am. I'm big time free free
0: free Blake Swihart. We had a blowout on the podcast about that last (laughs) week. So.
3: uh, Yeah, I I don't think you want to hear my takes on the Blake Swihart situation because we uh, that's something we've discussed at length on ours too and. Let's just say I'm not very happy with how he's been treated over the course of uh, how or how he's been handled. I don't think they've done a great job with that. I'll just leave it at that.
0: Well, Ian, we would get along quite well. then. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I can't uh, recommend your work enough. So please go check that out at Sox Prospects. And uh, we will be with you next week.